This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 541 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Hey kids, new comics. Jimmy Olsen dies again. The League fights the big green monster. Jessica denies Darkseid. Buffy settles back into the groove. The Dreaming wraps things up. And Superman owes a billion dollars. This is How I Got My Wife Read Comics for Sunday, May 24th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737, that's 614-321-9SFP. Well, after two months of cancellations and delays, this week heralded the restart of the comics industry, a.k.a. Diamonds started shipping again, we got a total of five whole comics, so here we go. Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 10 of 12 by Fraction, Lieber, and Fairburn. Let's check in with our favorite hipster reporter. We begin with Jimmy live-streaming Interdimensional Jewel Thief and currently Jimmy's wife, Jix, as she makes another amazing hit, this time at the grocery store. They need bananas to keep an alien spurned suitor and his terrors, a.k.a. Daleks, off the roof. Perry is not impressed with the coverage, though. Jix, Jimmy's sister Janie, and the professor are all mad at Jimmy for getting them in this fix. Cut to before issue number one, where we see Brother Julian announcing plans to save the Monarch of Metropolis statue, both as a historic monument and to stop Luther from taking over the infrastructure below it. In flies Jimmy, a.k.a. Super Turtle, who takes out the statue. Back at stately Olsen Manor, Julian's attorney announces his family is broke due to Julian's freewheeling spending, except for Jimmy's portion of the trust. But if Jimmy had a fatal accident... Cut to the Porcadillo, applying for a position with the assassins of Metropolis, when a hooded figure arrives to give them a job. Kill someone considered unkillable, and they all reply, Superman. No, no, Jimmy Olsen. We go into Porcadillo's backstory, seeing him screwed over by terrible lawyer Ed Lynch, then cut back to the quilled one, conferring with Detective Corrigan, not that one, who incredibly believes his tale, and they agree to take down Mr. Metropolis, a.k.a. Julian. Back to the star of the comic, who sneaks out with the now-charged spaceship. Cut back to Julian at Jimmy's obviously fake funeral, only to meet an enchanting redhead, It's Jimmy in drag, who calls him out on the whole thing. Next issue, Jimmy goes places, does things. This skewed view of the Silver Age is one of the best books I've read in years. Justice League number 44 by Vendetti, Zermanico, and Farjado Jr. When the big guns of the DCU are the heart of the league... It makes it very difficult to do interesting things with them unless you want to unravel storylines throughout all the books. 
So you wind up with stories like this. Atlantean soldiers are keeping watch only to watch massively mythical creatures take out their base. Cut to the javelin invented in the Justice League animated series to transport the group around, which makes zero sense with three flyers in the group, one of which can whip up a green platform for the others. The group is checking on Aquaman, who's dropped off of comms. Of course, we find him fighting the beasts, and we go into a long battle sequence. The monsters are from Tartarus, Diana explains. Bruce notes that the monsters all had green eyes. Then the League members' eyes go green as well, which taps into their hidden grudges. Bruce is mad Clark announced his ID without running it by him. John is mad Bruce always assumes leadership, and Bruce replies that he's tired that John questions him. Arthur thinks Diana judges him. Diana is tired of being the only woman there, and Clark is tired of carrying the rest of you. The last page sees the specter who is apparently causing all of this. Basically a bottle story that could have been published 10 years ago or 10 years from now with no impact on continuity. That is why it's better to have a league that has no major continuity ties. Case in point. Justice League Odyssey, number 20 by Abnet, Richards, and Barreto. Green Lantern Jessica Cruz just watched Starfire die and is out for revenge. She attacks Asriel, now charged up as a new god by Darkseid. She's got a power boost as well, making her a living battery of Omega energy. She wants to save Asriel and holds back her punches, but Blackstar does not, disintegrating him. She knows it's pointless to save the new new gods, as they are now lost. Now only Cyborg remains, and the team argue over whether he should be saved or not, with Jessica in the minority. She realizes there is a way to save him, but it involves not thinking linearly in terms of time. She wants to use Epoch's time manipulation device to send a message back in time to Cyborg. They rig things up, and she appears at the beginning of the adventure as a hologram, only to find they can't see her. Cruz does manage to get a message to Cyborg's memory, though, which allows him to help fight but not defeat Darkseid's influence. He begs her to deny Darkseid. Meanwhile, Darkseid realizes he wants the time manipulation device and arrives to take it. By the way, the Justice League titles, all printed prior to the Diamond Stoppage, are pushing Scott Snyder's follow-up to the metal event, Death Metal. The artwork looks like DC meets Mad Max. Hard pass. Thank you. Buffy the Vampire Slayer number 14 from Boom Studios by Belair, Lopez, Hidalgo, Angola, and Sagala. The Hellmouth event is over, and the gang tries to return to normal. Of course, this would be more impactful if we actually remembered what happened in the Hellmouth event from months ago. The Indicia indicates this should have come out at least a month ago. Buffy is hanging out with Robin, and we find him being forced into the friend zone. Later, Buffy and Kendra, a new slayer, meet with Giles, who informs them that there are many Hellmouths to potentially deal with. Mama Summers arrives to escort Buffy home, going into overprotective mode, which Buffy chafes at. Buffy then has a nightmare about Xander. Cut back to Giles the next morning, having an argument with girlfriend Jenny. She's mad he's so obsessed with his job, so she walks out. Back to school, Buffy and Rose are partnered up in chemistry class, which gives them a chance to talk about Willow's disappearance. Back to Robin, who's about to be thrown out by Buffy. She's convinced everyone will leave her eventually, so why deal with the heartache? Robin says he's not going anywhere, then decides to kiss Buffy, who reciprocates. Back to Willow, 
who warps into a cornfield. She's getting her own miniseries, by the way. To be honest, I'm kind of lost as to what is happening here. Maybe because you saw the series and can recognize who some of these people are. I know some of these people are new. It's like they've really accelerated the series storyline, which actually makes sense if you're setting it in modern times, you know, rather than the 25 years ago or whatever the series happened. But I'm not quite sure who they're aiming at here because the big Buffy fans don't want Xander dead and Willow gone. Mm -hmm. And if you're not a big Buffy fan, are you reading this? Right. I don't know. Yeah. The Dreaming, number 20, from DC Black Label by Spurrier, Every, and Lopez. After a long delay, here's the final issue of this series. A follow-up miniseries is on the way. Basically, the issue wraps up the main storyline with a lot of flowery narration and artwork. Juan, the new Lord of the Endless, is being taken apart by a mysterious force. The Dreaming world moves back to normal, and the outside world does as well. There's a list of obscure gods and how they relate to all of this in a set of sideways pages. Daniel has returned and all is well. He announces that Rose Walker must die, but the remaining part of Juan offers to sacrifice itself to save her. Rose will forget all of this and lose her daughter Ivy, who didn't find the path. Matthew the Raven checks in with various characters, and Cain and Abel are up to their normal shenanigans. The rest are getting back to work. Matthew relays that Daniel is demanding the presence of Lucian and Dora. Dora tells him to piss off, going off with Zig instead. And Lucian tells him that if Daniel wants him, he can come find him with his books. Now, while that's the extent of new comics for now, I did order some DC Showcase Presents books. These are like phone books of reprints, all in black and white, covering the run of mostly Silver Age works. I bought volume three of the Superman book, which goes from 1961 to 62 of the action and Superman titles. It's also the transition from Wayne Boring's blocky artwork to Kurt Swan's definitive Superman. This is also during the period that DC rehired original creator Jerry Siegel as a writer. There's a ton of very goofy stories here with Mr. Mixplick, Luthor, Brainiac, and Titano mixed in. One story involves a team of super enemies, most of which are obvious, except for Electro, which the other villains consider as an equal. I can't even find a Wikipedia entry for him. There's a lot of time spent with Superman and his robots, which he uses to help hide his secret identity. Why, Clark can't be Superman, because he's right here, and I just saw Superman fly by. Legion of Superhero members drop by, both as teens and adults. Kryptonite is abundant, as are Phantom Zone criminals. Of course, there are stories about Lois and Lana fighting to win Superman's love, one of which involves an actual duel. We get a few novel-length stories, the original Death of Superman, an imaginary tale, Supergirl's formal introduction to the world. She spent years as Superman's secret weapon when she learned to use her powers. The Last Days of Superman, which turns out to be a Jimmy goof. One story I particularly love is Superman Owes a Billion Dollars. A tax agent realizes that Superman generates a fortune in reward money, plus all those diamonds he makes out of coal, and he doesn't pay taxes on it. So the Man of Steel spends the issue flying around trying to scrape up the money to pay his fair share. In the end, the agent's boss resolves the whole thing. Everyone on Earth is Superman's dependent, which wipes out his tax lien. For sixteen ninety nine retail, it's a lot of fun. I just love in that story that they're quoting 
Tax regs. Tax. Yeah. <laughs> tax rules. Well, according to paragraph da 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 da, and it's like I really want to know: are those the actual paragraphs? Yeah. I need to look that up. Well, we do have a quick news update. Marvel announced that some of their lower-selling titles pre-COVID will move to digital only going forward. So if you're collecting that title each month in paper form, you're basically screwed. DC decided to do the same with the Terrifics being one of those titles, the only one at least so far that I actually have been collecting. I did let our LCS know that I have no interest in these collections of bits. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's fastest-growing new game show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Mark, we have an Entertainment Weekly this week. Wow. So are you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay, I'm going to press the button. TV-related? Tangentially. Is it like some sort of uh, summer preview? No, but you're on a good track there. Um, The... State is uh, let's see, is it is is it COVID related? No, it's a theme issue. It though. is theme issue. Okay, um, is it like, is it a list like top this or top ten of these? No. Is it entertainers of the year? No. No, that would be at the end of the year. Um, it, okay, is so it's summer. It's, it's it's not summer. Is it fall preview? No. Is it? Spring review. <laughs> no, it's not. It doesn't have to do with seasons or a best of list or anything like that. Okay. Hmm. Is it a uh, reunions issue? No. Hmm. Wow. Let's see that, that, that. Um, and it's not related to specifically to TVs or movies. It's all encompassing. Yes, and it's more related to to actors and actresses. Okay. So, is, is it one? It's not like one actor or actress. No, it's a whole bunch. A whole bunch that... Um, that all have one thing in common. They're Oscar winners? No. Uh, that has nothing to do with their acting. Wow. Oh, that are doing... No, they, you said it wasn't COVID related. Um, uh, that are doing charitable work? No. <laughs> Let's see. We have, they're all related, but it's not related to any award, and it's not related to their acting. Yes. Is it related to their age? No. Um, is it related to their gender? Um, it could be. Hmm. It, that's part of it. Um. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're you're not going to get it. It's the not. LGBTQ. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, that that would have taken me quite a while to get around to, I think. <laughs> so. Uh, announcer bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Tumblr.com slash blog slash SFPPN. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.